Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we're fueling up with Ben Bokai, Head of Performance Marketing at Huel, the world's number one nutritionally complete, fully sustainable line of meal powders, shakes, bars, and more that soared to nine-figure revenues on the back of great product, slick branding, and hardcore performance marketing, authored in no small part by our guest today, Ben Bokai. Listen, you'll learn why category creation is a cheat code for CPG brands how Ben's built an in-house creative hub in an all-out commitment to finding winning ads, as well as a deep dive into Huel's international strategy that's bringing them all over the world, including Japan. You better Huel up. On with the show. now that creative is the biggest lever to drive performance across all these different channels right but we've put a real emphasis on creative at sure we've we've built an in-house creative hub of designers strategists content creators who are responsible for making all our content consistent and perform across all our pay channels organic and e-com so we're trying to kind of in-house as much as possible so that for example when an ad on facebook absolutely flies we can then go down to the studio and just like iterate on that by shooting it in different colors, different lighting, and just making sure that the kind of branding and design are consistent across all touch points, the synergy between all our channels. Wrong size, wrong color, didn't look right in the living room? There are hundreds of reasons your customers return products, but returns don't have to be goodbyes. They can be an opportunity to complete the shopping experience. Built exclusively for Shopify, Loop lets you create a delightful return experience to attract and retain more customers. By making it easy for your customers to find products they love, they'll come back again and again. See why thousands of Shopify brands like Allbirds, Chubbies, and Brooklinen trust Loop as their return partner at loopreturns.com DTC. Ben, welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. I feel like we've been trying to coordinate this interview for a while. Could you just start with like a quick overview of where Huel is at in its incredible growth journey? Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me as well. Um, so yeah, Huel has definitely been a bit of a journey. I think uh, back in 2015, we launched our first Facebook ads. We had a single image ad with two bags of Huel, a blank background and, a, and headlines saying, no prep, no cooking, Huel is nutritionally complete food. And since then, it's, it's, it kind of blew up. Loads of low-hanging fruit. Really great product market fit, product channel fit. Um, and for a couple of years, we just enjoyed the success of the, the kind of Facebook machine. And that's mainly how we grew our new customer base. But yeah, since then, um, obviously, there's been a few things that have happened. Uh, firstly, the, obviously the pandemic back in March 2020 was a really interesting time in terms of Huel's kind of growth. In the UK especially, and to be honest, probably around, around the world, all our markets that we're in, lots of people were worried about foods running out at grocery stores, supermarkets, and people started panic buying fuel. So we saw our conversion rates and our click-through rates massively spike, literally overnight. It lasted for about, lasted for about two to three weeks. We ran out of stock. It was the biggest month we've like ever had. And then obviously, as people started to work from home and it became the norm, convenience food obviously took a, a bit of a hit people were starting to cook from home everyone was making sourdough bread and conversion rates started to started to drop and that lasted 
kind of for the for the summer and we kind of went in between and out of lockdowns and i mean when we were going into lockdowns and out of lockdowns conversion rates would correlate completely go into a lockdown conversion rate drop come out it would increase but obviously we're convenience food is for people on the go so for example in the uk when when everyone started working from home and, and then going back to work like you, there's a strong correlation between how busy the tubes and the underground were to fuel sales so that was interesting and then obviously ios 14 last year we had we call it mad may because what i'm still kind of unsure about what happened but during the whole ios 14 madness um, overnight, our CTRs like doubled on Facebook across all our markets. I don't, I don't know if you've heard about this before from anyone else. And conversion rates stayed completely flat. So I felt like it was something happened in the system. It might have been a glitch where Facebook just unlocked these new audiences for us. And again, same thing happened as, as, as lockdown. New customers massively spiked, uh, had stock issues. And yeah. That was, uh, that was May last year. Obviously, now we've had the cost of living crisis. But to be honest, though, growth is still great. We're still growing 30 to 40% year on year. I feel like Huel as a product is recession and pandemic proof, which is great. But yeah, that's a bit of a summary. <laughs> Food security is something that's kind of constantly coming up in the news uh, right now. And so I can imagine, I think, I think you're absolutely right about that. I want to just even back to the beginning of Huel as a product. It's funny, I, I remember when Soylent came out in the US and a bunch of my startup tech founder friends were sort of like, oh, finally, an efficient way that I can, you know, eat faster and cheaper. And they, they love this idea. And it really caught fire. And it's it's kind of a new category. And that's one of the things I find that that really does so well in this D2C space is when you're able to either combine two categories into a new one or, or really kind of find that blue ocean in a new category. Would you say that was one of the reasons that Huel really caught on in the public imagination as it did in the beginning? Yeah, 100%. I think I think with fuel as well, there's so many use cases. So like, firstly, it's affordable, 34 meals for £1.50 per meal. Um, it ticks that box. It's sustainable. Obviously, like limited packaging, you've got 34 meals in like one bag. It's plant based. It's vegan. It's all vitamins and minerals um, that you need. And it's convenient. You can make it within seconds in a shaker. So I think those use, use cases plus the strong branding that we have, our CX team, just kind of everything really that goes into it. It's just, it's a really interesting concept. I think even the logo itself, obviously we're, we're all over Facebook and Instagram and paid social. So whenever I you know, speak to people who haven't really, who don't really know what the concept is, they, they know the name. Um, so yeah. The Helvetica logo, is, it, is that the font? It's just, it's just so simple that is and, correct. and stands out. Correct. Human fuel, that's where it came from. Which is a better name than Soylent. Like Soylent just has these whole other connotations that, that I always thought of when, when they were, and I, obviously they're playing with that when they did it. Like, I guess the brand, the brand has just been, it's just been gold. Like it just, again, it really, it really locks in what this is. Um, how is it different? That's my question, I guess. Like, I know we're, we're not talking about this as a meal replacement necessarily, but these kinds of products like Boost and other, other things that have been in the grocery stores for years, what's different about Huel that caught the imagination and kind of created this new category? Is, is it its vegan nature? Is it the brand? Is it the logo? Like, what is it that, that's really different than these traditional th- products? I think, it's, I think it's mainly because we're nutritionally complete. I think we're one of the first nutritionally complete meals to market uh, in terms of all your protein, all your carbs, fats, fiber, and all your vitamins and minerals. And yeah, I think to be fair to Soylent, obviously they're, they're a competitor of ours, but 
in terms of them being the first to market in America, they're they're still pushing the category. So we, we still kind of like our, our competitors are actually still our friends within the category because it's such an unknown category, right? So yeah, we think of our competitors as our as our friends, really. If that sounds doesn't sound too cringe, <laughs> I came across a co- what, what do we call it co-opetition. That's the one. Uh, a little bit it's where, because you're both, you're, you're raising the, you know, you're raising the waters together, you know, in terms of this whole category. And there's, you know, there's a lot of people looking for these kinds of products. So there's probably more than enough to go around. Yeah. Um, apart from when we start bidding on each other's names on Google search, that's when it gets messy. <laughs> and I'm sure that will, uh, that will happen if it's not happened already. Um, what, what has been, I guess you said Facebook meta has been your, your top channel for growth. What, what other channels have you sort of explored that have worked really well? Yeah. So kind of, I guess all the big ones really. So Reddit has actually been one of our best performing channels. I think, um, I mean, the ad platform is kind of in its infancy, right? It doesn't have the strengths and the algorithm that, that Facebook and uh, Instagram do, although it is getting much better. But I think the Reddit audience really aligns with the Huel audience in terms of like kind of self-optimizers, tech bros, those kind of people are really into it. And it's just quite an unusual niche thing, right? And it just sits really well on the kind of within the Reddit environment. So Reddit's been great for us. Uh, TikTok and YouTube. Can we just pause for a second on Reddit? So let's be clear here. So are we talking a, a sort of combo organic paid strategy? Is this just organic? Is it just paid? What actually, because I, I hear so few advertisers come on and say that Reddit is oh, working. No, I'm giving away. Lead this, with I'm, it. So tell me a bit more about why it's working. I'm giving away the secret sauce, but um, so it's more it's more paid, not organic. And yeah, like I said, it, it is a kind of more simplified ad, ad platform. But again, kind of we've we've gone broad with it. And I mean, the creators that we run, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we run on, on Facebook and Instagram work well in Reddit in terms of like the imagery and the videos. But with the messaging, you can be a bit more left field and be a bit more fun with it. And that still performs. I love it. And did you, I've run a few ads on Reddit here and there, but I never committed to it. I never committed probably enough budget to start seeing great results. Did you see great results out of the gate or was it something that you just had faith in that you put more budget into and figured it out over time? I just know whenever you're going broad on these channels that are less evolved, when the algorithms are a little bit less involved, it's like you sort of have to commit to being a bit more manual in how you cover their audience. How how did that happen? Um, it actually, it was actually straight off the bat. So um, we got into Reddit probably three years ago now. And the CPCs, because it's not as competitive as the other channels, CPCs were just so cheap. And even though the conversion rate uh, wasn't as good, the, the quality of traffic wasn't as good, because of the CPCs, it, it backed out to a really decent CPA. And we've just scaled it ever since. Um, so yeah. Very cool. So I interrupted you there. We were talking about Reddit. What other channels were you going to highlight? Yeah, so we're, we're growing on TikTok, uh, YouTube, Google search as well. So TikTok, I mean, like everyone's so into TikTok. I've obviously heard a lot of other um, brands on this channel and people going viral and, and moving a needle like that. We're, we're still kind of working on it with TikTok. We've just hired a, a kind of content creator into the performance marketing team, basically just to create TikToks all day, every day. And he's doing a really good job. Our followers are, are are increasing. Our views are increasing on our organic social. And yeah, all I mean, all the organic content that performs well, we spark them and they seem to perform really well as well. So yeah, TikTok's growing. YouTube, we're doing the classic content creator stuff. Again, performing okay. I think the main theme for us at Hue at the moment is really working on the attribution and incrementality piece because, I mean, 
should we get into it now? I was going to say it's it's bingo. We we play bingo <laughs> when when both attribution and incrementality have been stated. So once you state them both, we do have to talk about it. Yes. Yeah, it's obviously been a difficult one. I mean, ad platform data now for me is just irrelevant, especially purchase data and all that ad platform data. Uh, we don't even we don't look at it at all. We use Phosphor as our attribution partner, and yeah, we we love Phosphor. We've been in for about two to three years now, and yeah, we use kind of their predictive models, which they have, their deterministic kind of click attribution data, and then a combination of like post-checkout surveys and promo codes. You bundle that all together. It's all deduped to kind of, yeah, see the true value of each channel and also looking at diminishing returns as well. So, I mean, like the, the first thing when we onboarded Phosphor, first thing they said to us is you're spending way too much on Facebook and Instagram, which like, obviously, right? Like it's the same for every single brand, but it's just super interesting, like how much we're overspending and so just getting that right for each channel as well and just knowing the levels and levers to pull and by how much has just been so valuable for us. And we started to, to back that up um, with kind of internal lift tests as well, internal lift test experiments. So where, where a channel can leverage lift tests, which is mainly just, just meta, right? And also um, geomatch lift tests as well, isolating a certain region. And these are specifically ads that you'd follow up with to say, which of these brands are you aware of or like are there sort of like recall ads what are, what are actual lift ads no sorry sorry conversion lift tests uh, um okay. so you know control group exposed group so that's to the exposed group and none to the control group and see the lift so we're, we're doing that as well to kind of sense check and to kind of complement what phosphor are doing so i feel like we're in quite a good place like that obviously it's it's not perfect and never will be but I think if we continue iterating and keep on testing new channels as well, like podcasts and influencers and stuff like that, then uh, yeah, we'll be in a good place. And so I'm just, I, this is the first time Phosphor has been mentioned. This is F-O-S-F-O-R.com. No, that's the wrong, uh, F-O-S-P-H-A. Ah, P-H-A, Phosphor. I'm surprised you've never heard of them. I know, I haven't, like, I don't know if it's a, if it's a UK thing, where I think people mention probably Triple Whale and uh, North Beam the most okay. for their oh, yeah, attribution yeah, yeah. solution. Yeah, no, Phosphor, uh, they're amazing. Their CX team is incredible. They're just, they're basically like an extension of our kind of data team, really. So whoever's listening, reach out to Phosphor and see what they've got to say. They're, they're great. And Phosphor, if you're listening, you should probably come on and sponsor the DTC podcast now. <laughs> uh, the circle of life <laughs> sure is, conti- is continuing here. That's great. You mentioned podcasts, and this is obviously as a podcast, we monetize this podcast ads. People tell us all the time that the ads on our podcast work really well. And I, I love this shift to sort of like telescoping out when you look at um, your actual um, incremental growth because it allows you to experiment much more in these big, broad, top-of-funnel channels that don't have the hardcore performance metrics that we might be used to on a meta platform. Can you talk a little bit about about your podcasting advertising journey and how that's worked? Sure. I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Stephen Bartlett who's got a podcast called Dara the CEO. Yep. Yep. So we, um, we partnered with him back in, uh, I think it was March 21, and that was kind of when he was up and coming. And now he's the number one podcast in the UK. Um, he's kind of, for anyone who doesn't know, he's like this modern day philosopher, really cool guy, interviews really inspirational people. Um, and he's a big fan of the product. He's a big fan of Fuel, which means that his reads on his show are just so authentic. And we kind of took a bit of a punt with him because we just really believed in him. He was a you know a great ambassador for the brand. And then since then, we've got our, had our post-checkout survey uh, implemented um, on our site. 
and the amount of answers which a podcast and then which podcast Stephen Bartlett Diary of a CEO honestly so much is mad that now he actually backs out to a really good CPA based on just post-checkout stuff so much that because uh, on, the, on the checkout survey we've got other and there's and people will go to other and just put Diary of a CEO so we've actually got him as our as a known answer now Stephen Bartlett Diary of a CEO and yeah he's he actually joined the board of Fuel uh, last year as well um, and he's been amazing. He supported us on our kind of influencer and podcast strategy. And yeah, it's been great. It's amazing. Do you have others like this? Just even investing in this guy before he became number one, because you believed him is such a great story. He becomes number one, takes you guys with him. Uh, are there other people you're trying to replicate this strategy with? Kind of. I mean, um, it's hard, right? Because unless you invest so much resource and time and money, it's it's a bit of a you got to take kind of educated guesses, right? And you got to you got to test loads of different pods. We've kind of um, defined our podcast audience and strategy now in terms of we're, we're going after pods where the audience are kind of self uh, are going are going to the pod to self optimize or self improve or hack their life some way, hack their health. People who basically go to the pod to yeah improve their life, and we're looking for those kind of podcasts to to test. And we're quite far away from it, but. We found a few cool ones which have worked quite well, but I guess it's also like some podcasts can be so expensive. Like if we find a podcast which aligns with our audience, but the CPMs are too much, then it's, it's not worth it for us. And on the other side, if we find a podcast which is, um, you know, cheaper CPMs, but the kind of genre doesn't align, then that's also an issue. So there's a, it's a balancing act really with all those things. And then obviously you can't understate the value of that native read of actually, you know, someone who genuinely loves the product and believes in it. Like that, that's gotta be a huge, huge factor as well. We, well, yeah, we ran with um, this comedy podcast actually. And they, they reached out to us uh, because they love the product and they did such an authentic read and it, and it, it works super well. So we're going to, we're going to reboot with these guys. It's, I wonder even like if you if Stephen Bartlett had had approached you after he was UK's number one podcast, I wonder if he would have been able to convince you that the metrics worked. You know what I mean? Like, be, but because you took a chance on him early on and grew with him, and you've grown into your CPA metrics, it's a no brainer now. But it's it's just it's a testament to researching and and really trying to find those people on the come up so that you can you can justify the costs early on. Yeah, definitely, definitely iOS 14.5, the infamous Apple update left D2C brands struggling to find and market to the right audiences. That's why hundreds of D2C brands are turning to Black Crow AI to boost their holiday marketing. Their plug-and-play machine learning technology measures in real time every visitor's likelihood to buy. You can then use these predictions to build predictive audiences for retargeting and prospecting. In short, Black Crow AI can significantly boost ROAS by helping you specifically target people who will actually want to buy from you. Find out why brands like Magic Spoon, Barabee, and Liquid IV are using Black Crow AI to supercharge their holiday marketing efforts. Visit blackcrow.ai slash DTC to request a 30-day free trial. Okay, so we've talked a bit about channels. What, just in terms of like your focus as the head of performance marketing, what has been the biggest driver for growth in the past 12 months? It's a bit of a boring answer, really, but it is creative. Everyone knows now that creative is, is the biggest lever to drive performance across all these different channels, right? But uh, we put a real emphasis on creative at Fuel. We've, we've built a, an in-house creative hub of designers, strategists, content creators who are responsible for making all our content 
consistent and perform across all our pay channels, organic and e-com. So we're trying to kind of in-house as much as possible so that, for example, when an ad on, on Facebook absolutely flies, we can then go down to the studio, a studio which is incoming still, it's very much in, in, in progress, but um, and just like shoot that, uh, if it was a product shot, shoot, uh, iterate on that by shooting it in different colours, different lighting uh, and just different scenarios. And just making sure that the kind of branding and design are consistent across all touch points. So we feel that like before before we had the creative hub and like kind of back in the day, like our departments and our channels were kind of in silo. So everyone was doing their own thing. Like the site looked different to our ads and like emails looked different to our to our site. And and now it's all super consistent and we are seeing obviously it's really hard to kind of put numbers against this, but it feels like our brand is way more kind of uh what's the word? There's syner- synergy. Um, between all our channels and now we built the hub there's I mean there's a bunch of them now we can you know we can put proper creative strategies together across different channels but also different markets as well so like for example the Japanese market is a real growth market for us at the moment and that needs a completely different creative strategy to, to UK US um, so yeah I remember working with a UK company and they were telling us that we were building some creative for them but we couldn't do it in any of these big North American kitchens because they for the UK market, they just things are sort of expected to look a little bit different, and I can imagine being quite different in in Japan as well. Yeah, um, like you you guys don't have kettles, right? You don't use we kettles. use kettles. Not I don't think they're as beloved necessarily <laughs> as they might be in the UK. We do use kettles, but plug in kettles, not like kettles that just sit on the stove. Okay, fine. Because because uh, like this cultural exchange. Yeah, for our hot and savory uh, products, um, when we create videos for our US audience, we always have to put cold water into a bowl of the hot and savory product and then put it in the microwave. Whereas in England, we just pour the kettle, we just pour the water straight from the kettle onto the hot and savory. So there's always yeah, a few nuances like that. That's interesting. How many products are is Huel up to now, approximately? Probably about six or seven. So they've got the the original V V3 powder, black edition, uh, which is a kind of um, lower carb version of that, our hot and savory which is real food, real grains, uh, real pasta, uh, protein shake, bars. What have you launched? What's the most rec- recent product you launched? Uh, the most recent product, it's not really a new, it's not really a new product. It's a, it's a new feature on our site, which is the, the build your own bundle. It's been a game changer for us. Previously, we've, we, you know, for a DTC brand, we've, we've got quite a narrow range, but we have grown it a lot in the last few years. And I think a lot of the customer feedback uh, that we've got is that we want, they, they want variety. Our customers want variety and they want a selection to choose from. So we kind of changed the functionality on our site to mix and match products. So now you can buy one bag of Black Edition, you can buy one bag of Hot and Savory, one ready to drink, which is the pre-mixed bottles. And that's been a bit of a mammoth job. Like the engineering team have done such a great job on, on getting that live and scaling it across all our markets. And it's made our customers really happy, which has meant that they've come back. They've come back more and they're spending more. Win-win. I'm on the site right now and you've got a 10% off for subscribe and save. You've got a one-time purchase. Talk a little bit about the subscription model. And I'm also interested in the minimum two bags, which is which is interesting for a product that people potentially haven't tried. Yeah, so subscribe and save 10%. We've, we've had that since um, since she all started. I think we, we think when in terms of our marketing and when we optimize, obviously subscribers are uh, more valuable, valuable to us in, in terms of LTV. 
but they're obviously harder to acquire as well. So we kind of do think of, obviously we've got a one-off purchase of our subscribers, but when we optimize, we optimize towards both more data signals. Um, but yeah, in terms of the two, the two bag minimum, probably more one for the, for the product e-com team, but yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing of, of the past now that we've got build your own bundle. So now people can mix and match. Very cool. But it gets people bought in. It gets people, you know, committed to the Huel experience uh, longer term, which exactly. I, I just reading reviews. There's so many reviews of people either liking it immediately or just learning to love it over time as well. I've, I've read a bunch of reviews of people, you know, who weren't, maybe they didn't love it at first, but then they just love what it does in their lives, what it enables them to do with all their free time and all these type things. So I, I think it makes sense. I think when you use it, you've got to, you've got to commit to it a bit. Like there, there could be a, I remember when I first heard about Huel and I tried it, I, I got it wrong. I put the powder in first and then I put the water in and you shake. And, that, and what happens there is it gets really clumpy. So you need to put uh, water in first and then powder and then shake and you're sorted. So those kind of things, I feel like, you know, that's the reason why, why we give kind of the, the volume that we do is because you need to give it a go over a few times. Are you, I actually don't know what Huel's retail, uh, like Amazon, like the whole other side of the distribution channel, is that, uh, are those under your purview as well in performance marketing? Or are you focused on outward bound performance marketing? Um, not really under my remit, but uh, retail is a massive part of our business, mainly in the UK. So the, the two biggest supermarkets in the UK, Sainsbury's and Tesco's, not sure if you would have heard of them, but um, we're doing a lot of really good things with them. It's interesting as well, we, in, in the post-checkout survey, there's a there's an answer, for, I keep on referring back to the post-checkout survey, I'm kind of I'm a bit obsessed with it, but uh, um, one of the answers is, where did you hear about Huel? In store, at a gym. And there's so many people who have seen us in store and then gone on to purchase online. So not only is it a revenue driver for us, but it's a, it's an awareness tool as well for, for the, for the D2C part of it. And the gym has as well, like the, just the, the merch, whether it's the shirt that comes with it or the shaker, just, I think that that's gotta be a pretty valuable visual cue for people wanting to get into the Huel world as well. Again, that's another answer. Did you, if you saw the t-shirt uh, that gets pulled through, um, but yeah, I mean, whenever you go to the gym, you walk down the street, even at festivals, I've seen the summer, People are wearing Huel t-shirts and it just creates such great virality uh, for the product. And yeah, the shakers, the shakers so cool. It's such a prominent, it's such a big asset for us that, uh, especially in our ads as well, like it's, it's, it's great. You mentioned, you know, how um, tied the business was to, you know, pandemic lockdowns and things like that. What are your thoughts? You know, we talked about it being recession proof as a product. Like, again, I, I hear all the time about, you know, farmlands becoming insecure and different environmental goals, reducing people's ability to farm and all these things that kind of are in the news. How do you foresee, has your marketing changed at all to address right now, uh, recessionary times or, or any of the things that are kind of happening in the world? Has your marketing changed to reflect any of those things yet? I mean, kind of got to be a bit careful with that because if we ever try and use, you know, like concepts or angles from like external factors like the recession, like sustainability, stuff like that, we can get a bit of a backlash from users online. So we've got to kind of tread carefully there. And also in terms of sustainability, we are a sustainable product, but it's, it's, it's hard to, we've got to be careful with what we say online as well. There's so many different uh, rules on claims that, um, that are problematic. So we, we tread really carefully with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, along those veins, what's the biggest mistake or painful lesson that you've learned in uh, in four years at Huel? There's a, there's a couple which spring to mind. I think the one 
I mentioned before about um, when the pandemic hit and everyone was panic buying fuel. We we obviously saw a two to three week increase in conversion rates. Sales went absolutely nuts. Um, and we thought that was a new normal. Like naively, we thought that was a new normal. We're like, wow, we're going to absolutely smash our targets for the year. It obviously didn't happen like that. And I think we were a bit too slow to react. And we kept spending uh, when the demand just wasn't there, which made our CPAs rise. It was inefficient. And I think that probably sticks in my mind as being one of the biggest mistakes. Like, obviously, like on a daily basis, everyone around the company is like, right, what's going on? What's going on? Um, and then that causes issues with stock as well, right? Because it's like, do we invest in stock? Do we not? Like, uh, so yeah. That's funny. You and everybody else, I think, right? That sounds like, that sounds like Shopify. It sounds like so, so many businesses took took the signals of of the new normal as as a given and sort of made investment budgeting decisions based on them. And then in the light of day, um, there's been some readjusting, I guess, that's happened. And, and actually, it's funny, we just hired someone, a new writer, actually, from Shopify. So oh, cool. uh, there's this new, it, it benefits the whole ecosystem, maybe, when that happens sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk a little bit about international expansion. What markets is obviously dominant in in the UK? Can you talk a little bit about your other international plans? We actually drive more revenue outside of the UK than in the UK, which is is pretty amazing. Um, so US is our second biggest market, really big growth market for us. So much potential. Obviously, more expensive, more competitive, but yeah, growing in the US really well. Uh, Germany. Poland, Sweden. I think those are our three European markets, which are doing super well. Japan, Belgium, Netherlands, and then some kind of, they're not small markets, Italy, Spain, France. They are smaller for us because I think the kind of convenience food out there is is, is kind of a, less of a thing when you can be eating delicious pasta all the time. So uh, yeah, those markets at the moment, and I, I mentioned Japan as well, didn't I? So we're yeah, we launched in Japan a couple of years ago, and seen really great growth. Uh, again, it's it's so different, and I think one thing with Japan which hit us a lot is iOS. So in Japan, it's like eight uh, Facebook impressions, are like eighty five percent iOS. So it's 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 taken a bit more of a hit than the other markets. How did you pick Japan? Like just as, you know, when you're, you're in the European Union, the European, uh, or not in the European Union, sorry, but, you know, it makes sense to expand in, in your landmass there. How did you pick Japan as, as another market you wanted to break into? Yeah, I mean, so that was the, I think it was a, a commercial uh, team choice. Um, I think there's, there's a big competitor out there called Comp, who actually have kind of similar branding to us a little bit. Um, and there's definitely product market fit there. It's a big market. We've got local fulfillment out there now. So if we want to expand into other kind of Asian markets, we've got that. And yeah, just kind of incremental growth, really. I think it's it was, I, I don't want to say it was painless in terms of like uh, launching out there. It's got different rules for food and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it's a combination of things, really. But it's been successful. When are you coming to uh, your Commonwealth brothers over here in Canada? <laughs> um. I think it's on our radar. I think there's a few more. Again, there's there's different rules in different markets, which, and they like don't allow us to maybe create the same formula of fuel. So I'll have to let you know on that one. But it's definitely on our radar. 
we we look often at our subscriber base and where where people are, where the businesses are are located. And I think it's something only like 15 or 20% of our 130,000 subscribers, maybe 30% are are from the UK. But when you look at like the brands and the number one cities actually where D2C subscribers are, and they're so concentrated in London, there's so many D2C subscribers in London. I just like, what is, what's the London, like, because I want to, I want to come, we want to do an event over there eventually. What's the, what's it like in the sort of D2C scene? where you are in in london yeah it's obviously super prevalent so um we're based in london bridge so the, the actual hq office is based in a place called tring which is just north of london but the the, the marketing team um, and the creative guys are based in london and yeah i mean we do kind of knowledge sharing sessions with loads of brands based all in london uh so yeah what is what what are your big plans for for q4 black friday cyber monday this year um, I guess into October, into, into Q4, health and nutrition brands, and you know, it's not in, on people's minds as much going into Christmas. So October is, is a good month for us. I think August, uh, September's been really strong and October acts in quite a similar way. But I think going into November and December, we start to bring our spend down a little bit. Cyber Monday, Black Friday, super competitive times. Um, and obviously CPM, CPCs go through the roof, but conversion rates also go through the roof, right? Because everyone's in market, everyone's out to buy, even though even though we don't actually, we don't do any promotions ever really, to be honest, um, and especially not on Black Friday. So we, we're quite cautious over that weekend. We don't go big. We kind of just stay flat and, and the, the conversion rates and the CPMs kind of balance each other out. I, I got a suggestion for you to overcome the holiday blues. Why is there not a nog why is there not an eggnog flavored? I don't know if that's not as big in the UK here, but in Canada, we're already starting to see eggnog in our supermarkets, which is insane. Really? Eggnog flavored powder? I don't know. Uh, it's nutritionally complete when know. you, it's not, it's not vegan when you got the egg in there, but like, I don't even know what a nog is, you know, but it doesn't seem that far off from a, from a Huel potentially. So anyways, I'll just, that's, I'll give that free consulting out just, just for you in case you wanted to use it. I'll forward, I'll forward that, I'll forward that to the product team and let you know what they say. Nice. That sounds great. Nice, Ben. This is awesome. Thanks for coming on the, uh, the D2C podcast today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.